What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, the story of Rubik the Amazing Cube. On a mysterious night, Rubik Cube appeared, bringing happy day. Hello, my name is Jamie, and this is the Everything 80s Podcast. Thanks for coming on out today. So what do you do when you've got one of the hottest toys of all time and not sure what to do with it? You make a cartoon show, of course. Rubik the Amazing Cube was an animated show that debuted on ABC on September 10th, 1983. It told the story of Rubik, a Rubik's Cube come to life, who befriends some children while trying to avoid an evil magician. It would be a short-lived series and would only last 13 episodes. So that's what we're going to focus on here today. Before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. Okay, let's go. So this might be a bit of an obscure cartoon show. And I think the average person who grew up in the 80s might not even totally remember it. I barely remember this thing. I definitely remember it, but more as just sort of like, not in a dream sense, but I was only around five years old, but enough that it was just sort of like uh, a little bit mesmerizing, a little bit confusing. Um, And it might've been that way for a lot of people too. But Rubik the Amazing Cube did have a pretty decent niche following. But, you know, since it debuted in the early 80s, it didn't have a super long run. And the thing with the 80s was this was a time when there was just an explosion of content and programming. So it was really hard to stand out among the big juggernauts. Of course, that would be, you know, G.I. Joe and Transformers. But it was worth a shot. Rubik the Amazing Cube started out actually as a combo show with the Pac-Man cartoon, but then would become its own standalone show a few years later. It's hard to build an audience that way, but, you know, this is just a look back on an obscure obscure show, but one that was a bit ahead of its time, actually, and may have paved the way for more Spanish-based programming, which would come down the road, like, you know, to things like Dora the Explorer. So let's take a look at a cartoon that was actually based on a Rubik's Cube, Rubik the Amazing Cube. And we, of course, have to start with the actual history of the Rubik's Cube. And the Rubik's Cube is not only one of the best-selling toys of the 80s, but of all time. I had no idea how big this thing was. We'll get all into that. So in case you've been in, stuck in a biodome for 50 years, the Rubik's Cube was created by Erno Rubik, who was a Hungarian inventor, architect, and professor. He had been a long champion for science and education, which he continued long after the success of his famous cube. Rubik was a professor of architecture at the Budapest College of Applied Arts from 1971 to 1979, and he would come up with designs for various three-dimensional puzzles. During this time, he came up with a prototype for the Rubik's Cube that was designed as a task for his students to work on. 
The patent for it was put through in 1975, and the focus for the cube was to help students become more aware of all the possibilities of space alteration of objects with the intent to change their thinking when it came to architecture. If you look back at, you can Google image the original like Rubik's cubes and the prototypes. Uh, it, it looks bizarre because it was basically just started as a bunch of blocks of wood and rubber bands and was meant for his students to use to create different designs without the whole thing, you know, falling apart. The students loved it, though, and since it was such a simple structure, Rubik wondered if it could be something that could be mass-produced for others. The first commercial version was made in Hungary and was called the Magic Cube before it was licensed to American toy company Ideal Toys. They would rebrand it to the Rubik's Cube and release it to the public in 1980. And I never realized the Rubik's Cube was an 80s item. I, I don't know why. I always thought of it as something that went back to the 60s and stuff like that, but it's a straight-up 80s item. So the process from prototype to mass production had taken six years, but you obviously know what a Rubik's Cube is, showing that <laughs> you, know, you have heard of it, which shows the worldwide success it had. And this success happened almost immediately. It won several Toy of the Year awards for for three straight years and to date has sold around 350 million units, making it, again, not one, not only one of the best-selling toys of the 80s, but of all time. It was so big when it came out that three of the top 10 books on the New York Times bestseller list were books on how to solve the Rubik's Cube. <clears throat> it was huge. And that leads us to a cartoon show. So let's look at how this whole thing came about. Again, like I had vague recollections of this cartoon, again, being younger and not remembering that it came out early in 1983. Like that's going way back. But it all makes sense now if you realize that the Rubik's Cube was an 80s product and it would have been hitting its stride by 1982. This would, of course, lend itself to more branding, no matter how ridiculous it might seem. So you have to strike while the iron is hot. So I don't know. You know, when myself being five years old at the time, I don't know if I would have been the prime target for the Rubik's Cube. Probably not. I think it was geared towards older kids into teens and then, of course, adults. And, you know, again, depending how old you are, you might not remember any of the hoopla going into the cartoon show. You might be a bit older and remember this, but it was a real phenomenon, this idea of this cartoon of this super hot toy coming to Saturday mornings. If you think of all the ridiculous things that have been turned into cartoon shows over the years, this actually makes total sense. So the cartoon show would be produced by Ruby Spears Enterprises, made up of Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, who had previously been sound editors at Hanna-Barbera. Eventually, while working there, they were tasked with coming up with a mystery-based cartoon series for Saturday mornings, and they came up with a pretty good one in 1969. It was called, of course, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? They would branch out in 1977 to create their own production company, and over the years, it would bring us things like Fang Face, Thunder the Barbarian, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Sectors, Mr. T, The Police Academy Animated Series, Mega Man, The Centurions, bunch of stuff. In the early 80s, they needed to capitalize on a few growing fads, specifically the Pac-Man video game and the Rubik's Cube. And this led them to developing the Pac-Man Rubik, the Amazing Cube Hour, which is a mouthful. This was a combo show, which was a one-hour block aired on ABC starting on September 10th, 1983. So we're looking, you know, just at the premise of this 
cartoon and again if you like most cartoon shows from the 80s you just had to watch the intro or listen to the intro theme song and you were immediately up to speed with the whole show this was important for shows to include this you know real exposition at the start uh, as it leads to a very low barrier of entry and even an unfamiliar viewer could jump in at any point and know exactly what was happening it could help in avoiding having to worry about story arcs or specific character developments. You could jump in at any episode, you know, during whatever season and be able to pick it right up and know exactly what's happening. With Rubik, you just have to get on board with its premise. So Rubik falls out of the stagecoach of an evil magician and ends up connecting with kids Carlos Lisa and Reynaldo Rodriguez. Their goal is to keep Rubik away from the evil magician who will no doubt use him for evil purposes. Like whatever evil you could do with a Rubik's Cube anyway. The magician's issue is the main cornerstone, like the issue of him trying to get Rubik. That's the whole premise and cornerstone of the sh- uh, cornerstone of the show it's basically the frosty christmas card uh, cartoon if you think about it there are other episodes that deal with you know some regular situations involving kids and whatever but it always comes back to this magician trying to get them back Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Okay, here's Rubik himself. It's hard to characterize Rubik because he seems like part superhero, part alien maybe. He could probably, you know, join the Avengers if it was really pushed to that because he has a lot of amazing abilities that is showcased over the show, including telekinesis, changing size, changing the size of objects, changing people into animals, shape-shifting, teleportation, and even time travel. So these are just a few. And honestly, it's kind of like... Dr. Strange and Orko from He-Man had a baby. He's actually designed a bit more on a Smurf as the Smurfs were also super hot at the time. And without knowing um, how you could make a Rubik's Cube into a sentient being, they had to kind of adopt that style. Like what is a Rubik's Cube come to life going to look like? Is he going to be six feet tall? Is he going to be one giant cube? Is he going to look like, you know, like the size of the Kool-Aid man? They just went with what was hot and that was the Smurfs. There's also nothing known about Rubik's origin or his age, but one fact is he loves junk food. Um, He also loves Saturday morning cartoons and he loves roller coasters, basically me in cube form. I think the idea like with him loving junk food was they had a lot of sort of foresight if this thing was going to be a hit that they would be able to tie in a lot of commercial branding with other junk food companies, which kind of go hand in hand with advertising and cartoons. They also borrowed a lot from Scooby-Doo and the shows would be based around Rubik and the kids, you know, again, 
foiling the magician, foiling some form of crime, solving mysteries, that whole shtick. Rubik also couldn't use his magical Yoda powers unless he was fully solved or had all his colors lined up properly. If he got even slightly out of alignment, he would lose his powers and Carlos would have to act quickly to solve him to restore those powers. So how did this show do? Again, like I said, cartoon debuts in September 1983, but only last 13 episodes. It had, as I was mentioning before, a ton of hype built up around it. Um, and this always happened each year. I don't know if you remember this. They would do a Saturday morning cartoon preview special, special showing you the upcoming shows for that year. And this event was super hyped if you were a kid anyway. That year's preview was hosted midweek by Dick Clark, of all people, and got kids pretty excited for a combo show of Pac-Man and Rubik's Cube. This was something that I totally forgot about until I was like looking back and all this and remembering this midweek sort of like going into primetime special, which would showcase everything. And this was just like required viewing if you're a kid in the 80s. But like I said, 13 episodes, that's it. By December 1983, it was over. And then surprisingly, it returned a few years later, airing as a standalone show, this time without Pac-Man. That rerun season would go from May 4th to August 31st, 1985. I'm not sure if it had built up a little audience or they were giving it you know, one last kick at the can, but that rerun season was as far as the show would, would go. What is interesting is some of the voice talents that were recruited for this cartoon. The first is, of course, Rubik himself, who was voiced by Ron Palillo, a.k.a. Horshack from Welcome Back, Cotter. So, but to achieve that bizarre voice of Rubik, they had Palillo speak very slowly and then sped up the track, also raising the pitch to create that kind of alien and definitely disturbingly creepy voice. Other notable voices uh, included Michael Sosito, who starred on St. Elsewhere, and Michael Bell, who provided the voice of Reynaldo. It's worth taking a second look at Michael Bell because uh, if you watch pretty much anything in the 1980s and 90s, there was a good chance he did a voice on it. Here's a few samples. He was Riddler on the Super Friends, Dr. Octopus on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. He played Grouchy Smurf, Lazy Smurf, and Handy Smurf. He was the voice of Prowl, Scrapper, Sideswipe, Bombshell, First Aid, and Swoop on Transformers and Transformers the Movie. He was Duke and Blowtorch on G.I. Joe. He was Lance and Sven on Voltron. He was Bruce Banner on The Incredible Hulk. He was Darkwing Duck. He did voices in DuckTales, Scooby-Doo, Garfield and Friends, Mr. T, My Little Pony. Like I'll stop because this goes on forever. Not to mention this guy's been in every video game you've probably ever played. Like, look the guy up if you want to see how pivotal this guy was to the 1980s. So here's the relative impact of Rubik the Amazing Cube. This show was, like I said, it's relatively groundbreaking as there was not a lot of Hispanic and Spanish-based entertainment out there, especially in cartoons. That's still a bit of the case today, but in 1983, it was a pretty big deal to have a show take this approach. Even though it was short-lived, a show like this was able to pave the way for future, sh- future shows like I mentioned, Dora the Explorer. Rubik the Amazing Cube was able to portray Hispanic kids doing everyday things and never went the cheap route that cartoons have often done with Spanish-speaking characters. Even the theme song kept the Hispanic flavor of the show and was actually performed by Puerto Rican boy band Menudo, 
but not the iteration with Ricky Martin. That was uh, a little earlier version of Menudo. So I'll start wrapping it up here. Uh, I mean, there you go. A pretty obscure show that not only was striking at the height of popularity for a toy, but was able to take a different direction than other run-of-the-mill cartoons. You know, they're obviously like getting on top of this toy craze while they had it, but they at least had a little bit of um, sort of creativity to maybe go a different direction and maybe do something not overly groundbreaking, but a, a new approach that hasn't been done in cartoons at the time. Rubik the Amazing Cube was not required viewing for me, like I said, when I was a kid, because I was just maybe a little too young to catch it. And I think, you know, like I said, it maybe slipped through the cracks with the bombardment of all the other content we were getting um, in the early 80s. It may be one of those shows that triggers a memory for you, or you may be just hearing about it for the first time. Again, like this was an age when you had to throw everything at the wall and see what stuck. If something was hot, you had to jump on it and see what kind of lifespan you could get out of it. This was the time of, and again, I've covered this so much on the show, the the time of deregulation where all the restrictions were taken off what could be presented to kids. Before that, before Ronald Reagan became president, there was a lot of these restrictions. So um, what you know, amounted to advertising to children and cartoons couldn't be used to sell more toys or, but basically everything was lifted in the eighties and advertisers, companies, producers had free reign to do whatever they wanted, make card as many cartoons as they wanted, make, um, com- like commercials that look like cartoons. Everything was out the window. That's why you see a 300% rise in new intellectual properties, characters and creations going into the eighties because they had been restricted for so long at like attacking kids with all this content and um, trying to gain this audience. So they just put out any sort of cartoon or product they could think of and see what was going to be a hit. And with Rubik, the amazing cube, it just, it didn't work again. When it comes to a Rubik's cube, I'm not sure how much life you can get out of this idea. And I think their hope again was that it would somehow create a second Smurf-like craze. You know, that's why they really copied that look of the Smurfs. Clearly it didn't happen, but it remains an interesting part of the early 80s cartoon landscape. So I'll finish it there. Hopefully you liked the show, learned a little something. Again, check out, you can find the odd uh, Rubik the Amazing Cube cartoon, uh, like full episodes on YouTube. So have a look for that. But again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss that. And since it might already be in your head, let's just like finish with the Rubik, the Amazing Cube theme song to finish. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye.